Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Okay, right. 15 minutes. Can you put, put on my first slide, please? Uh, Mark, that'd be great. One more. One more. That's great. Thank you. So, continue with our spirit led living series. We're trying to grow in responding to, the, uh, to God in the everyday. The problem we face uh, as humans and as believers is we get habitualized in the way we do life. God reminded me this morning in the, in the, um, the meeting we, where we pray before the service that I failed my first driving test. Okay. This was many years ago. I think I was 19 at the time. And I was really well prepared because the instructor had taken me around the test route over and over and over again. I knew every turn, every nuance, every junction. I was utterly prepared. Even though this is in the Midlands, the Badlands, I was still prepared for the, for the driving test. There's cars up there, you know, traffic trams and all sorts. And um, no one's biting this morning. And... Um, <laughs> So I was fully prepared, and uh, morning of the test, I got in the car, and the instructor was there, and I drove out to the test centre, down to the first junction, and put my indicator on to turn, I think it was uh, left, which was the first turn uh, on the test route. And the instructor slammed his hand on the dashboard and slammed the brakes on. And I was like, what on earth, what's going on? And he just pointed in front of me, and overnight, they put a huge contraflow system in, because of roadworks. <laughs> And in front of me was a big sign saying diversion, and there was no entry sign that way, and the traffic was going that way. And I failed my test in the first 10 seconds. I oh, know, it's sad, isn't it? <laughs> the trouble was, I was so ingrained in what I thought was going to be the road that I was going to do, I wasn't paying attention to my surroundings. I wasn't actually looking and being led by the signs and everything else. I was so, I got, this, I got the route ingrained in my head. And sometimes we're like that with our faith. You know, we know what to expect on church on a Sunday. We know what to expect in different situations. We get ingrained and we don't look around us and see what the Lord is saying and how he is leading. And we all struggle with those habitual patterns. We do it all the time. We're lazy in our thinking. We're lazy in, our, in the way we do life. We want life to be the same, repeatable, because that makes us feel safe and comfortable. And, uh, and I think the Lord is just, again, gently challenging us to say, you know, look for the signs, look for what I'm doing, look for where I'm working, because the Spirit, the Spirit's very clear in the Scriptures that he's with us all the time, everywhere. I really want to just briefly talk about the Spirit, first of all. Can you say Spirit-led living? You know, what Spirit are we talking about? That, that we live in a society that's fascinated by the spiritual. People are fascinated by spirit guides or, or crystals or different ways of accessing what they feel is the spiritual realm. And we say straight off the bat that we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And that in itself is a strange phrase, isn't it? the Holy Spirit, or in old-fashioned language, the Holy Ghost, as it used to be talked about. But that Spirit is simply God's Spirit that was released to us uh, when Jesus ascended into heaven. So we spoke before about the Holy Spirit not being a what. He's a who. He's not an impersonal force that we try and turn on or turn off. He's a who that God invites us into relationship with. And he's not just any old who. He's the eternal, powerful presence of God. 
I don't know what your relationship is like with the Spirit. Sometimes people are great with God the Father and they're cool with Jesus, but the Spirit's a bit they kind of struggle with. The Spirit's a bit kind of obtuse and a bit sort of, you know, how does the Spirit work? How does the Spirit, how do I access the Spirit? The Bible's very clear in speaking about the fact that we serve a God who is actually three persons. We use the word Trinity in theology. The word Trinity isn't in Scripture. You won't find the word Trinity in your Bible. But the Bible reveals to us what's called a triune God, a God who exists in three persons. You with me so far? And each one of those persons is fully, fully God. So when we talk about God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each one of those persons is fully God. And that's quite tricky to understand. So when God's here by God the Father, he's here fully. When he's here as Christ, he's here fully. And when he's here by the Spirit, he's here fully. And it's not like um, one of those sort of trivial pursuit cheeses where each part comes together to make the whole. Actually, each part is fully God. And again, tricky to understand. And to make it worse, there's only one God. (laughs) So God is three persons and each part is fully God and there's one God. Okay, thanks God, that's tricky to understand. But that's what the scripture points to and reveals to us. So when we're talking about being spirit-led people, we're talking about being led by the complete spirit of God. And that's really important to understand. Because lots of spirits or spiritual influences are there trying to get our attention. Trying to get, uh, trying to encourage us that that's the way to go. The spiritual realm can be very dangerous if we access it in the wrong way. There's a story in the book of Acts about some people who had seen Paul and the disciples going around in power and uh, delivering people from evil spirits, and they tried it, and they got beaten up. They got beaten up by a man who was possessed by a spirit, and they fled naked because the, uh, the spirit said, well, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And they got an absolute pasting because they tried to do something in, in a spiritual dimension that they didn't have authority in. So the Bible makes it very clear the spiritual dimension is very real. It's a very real thing that we, is all around us. And there's two opposing forces. There's God and the angelic and the Satan and the demonic. And there aren't any neutral forces out there. There aren't any neutral forces that you can access or harness or use. There's only forces of good and love and forces of darkness and the demonic. And every great blockbuster that you love, like, I don't know, um, Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or whatever else. You see the opposing forces, don't you, of good and evil battling. And those stories resonate in us because that is the truth of the spiritual realm that's all around us. The Bible talks about kingdoms. And a kingdom is a place of dominion or authority. And uh, there's a kingdom of light and there's a kingdom of darkness. And God's in the plundering business. (laughs) He's into making sorties into the kingdom of darkness and rescuing people and bringing them back into the kingdom of light. He's doing these plundering missions all the time to bring people from darkness into light. It says in 1 Colossians 13, He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. So all these sorties are taking place in the spiritual realm all the time. People being rescued from darkness and being brought into light. And so as we're talking about being spirit-led people, we're trying to respond to the activity of the Holy Spirit that is present all around us. The Bible tells us that Satan, 
masquerades as an angel of light. It says that in 2 Corinthians 11. So there are other spiritual forces out there. There are other spiritual influences out there. And we're not looking to access those or connect with those. We're looking to connect with the Spirit of God. And you can be secure in the fact that if you are seeking God, it is God who you will find. I mentioned last week when Jesus said in Luke 11, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How much more will he give you the Holy Spirit? And the Father's eager to connect with you in the spiritual. So I want to talk with you quickly today about what the Spirit does, and then we'll look at a story in John 4. So on the night he was arrested, Jesus shared this meal with his disciples. And he said, I've got to go away. I'm physically going to be no longer present with you. But good news, I'm going to send you someone. And he's going to be with you forever. And it says this in the Scriptures. In John 14, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said. So Jesus promises his disciples and he promises us this comforter, this advocate, this person of the Holy Spirit who is going to be present with every single believer. Okay? Every single believer. No one is disqualified. No one kind of gets to do Jesus without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is promised to every single believer, everyone who's a follower of Christ. And the word advocate is is actually a word that means comforter, paraclete, someone who will come alongside and be with you forever, for all time, wherever you are. And he's not going to be a passive presence in your life. It says in this scripture here, doesn't it, he will teach you all things. Under the Spirit's guidance, you're going to be a lifelong learner. You never stand still in Jesus. The Spirit will continually teach and reveal you to, to you things. He'll also, it says here, remind you of the words of Jesus. And the word here means to sort of gently bring to mind, to quietly whisper. So you're in the supermarket queue and suddenly the words of God drop into your head. That's the Holy Spirit. He will continue to whisper into your being the things and the words of Jesus as you go about your daily life. He will remind you of the things of God. And Jesus also said this. He said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. He'll be a guide to you. The Holy Spirit will show you the way. If you're confused or unsure, the Holy Spirit will be right there to show you the way. He will also reveal what the Father is doing. He will speak the words of God. And it's a wonderful job description, isn't it, of the Holy Spirit. There is promised to every believer you sound excited. <laughs> this, is the, this is the truth of the reality of what God calls us into. Spirit-led living. Access to this incredible spirit of God. In the book of Acts, you see, Jesus, you see the, the apostle Paul guided by the spirit and also prophetically warned by him uh, in this scripture here. Hang on, it's coming. It's not coming. There it is. Acts 20, Paul said, I'm compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. The Lord is sending him to Jerusalem to witness, not knowing what happened to me there, knowing that I face persecution because the Holy Spirit warns me. So the Holy Spirit is guiding and warning Paul that he's got to go somewhere, but when he gets there, he will face persecution. So the church was burst as this Spirit-led, Spirit-filled community. 
And we've departed sometimes quite a long way from that, haven't we? We've dropped into other habits or other rituals, other things we're more comfortable with, rather than recognising that we're a spirit-filled, spirit-led people. I said on Friday that church isn't supposed to be a safe place. We, we like to think of church as, a, as a, a safe place in the sense that it's cosy and warm and friendly and the people are nice. The early church wasn't like that. People were terrified to join it because the presence of God was there. And I'm not saying we should make church deliberately not safe, but I'm saying you should have an expectation when you come together with other believers that God may do some stuff in you that you might think, woof, that's, that's going a bit far, God. That's, that's, that's a bit outside my comfort zone. Because the Spirit is leading us and challenging us continually with the things of God. And your experience of Spirit might be limited. You might have come through a denomination or a background where the Spirit was kind of downplayed or wasn't even believed in the activity of the Spirit today. But the truth is, and we cannot get away from it, the Scripture says that we are Spirit-led people and Spirit-filled people. And we should expect all these things to be happening in our lives as normal, normal Christian believers. Amen? Amen. 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 Paul says this in uh, Ephesians 1.13. When you believed, you were marked with him, sorry, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So you've got a damn payment of the kingdom of God into you by the Spirit. It's a promise to every believer. You have a, an impartation of the Spirit of God to you. Every believer is filled with the Spirit. And he's there to be this active, dynamic partner with you in the things of God. And I find that really exciting. Turn with me to um, John 4, if you've got your Bible with you. I want to quickly talk about a story there. The story there in John 4, um, Jesus meets this woman at the well, this Samaritan woman. And uh, the disciples have gone off to find food. They've been, it's a dry and dusty day. They've walked a long way and they've come to this well. And Jesus decides to sit at the well and stay there while the disciples go off and find food. And Jesus meets this woman. This woman comes out to the well in the heat of the day to draw water. She's a, a social outcast. She's on the fringe of society. So she comes when she won't meet anybody else at the well because to draw water in the heat of the day was the wrong time to draw water. So she went out there in the heat of the day wanting to be on her own. But she meets Jesus. And Jesus begins to this dialogue with her about the things of God and the things of the kingdom. And she comes to draw natural water, but she leaves with the water of life. She has this powerful encounter with the Spirit of God. And the whole testimony goes forth into the town and affects the town. And many people come to know Christ because of her testimony of Jesus. And this story is a wonderful framework for us in looking at how to see the world differently. The disciples come back and they're oblivious to what's happened. They're surprised that Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman because she's sort of a Jew and Samaritans didn't mix. And so first of all, they're confused that he's talking to a woman, he's talking to a Samaritan woman, and he's not fussed about food. And they're a bit sort of, God, you know, what's going on? You know, Jesus, you know, what, what, what's going on? And their main preoccupation seemed to be their stomachs, their natural appetites. That's what they were focused on. But Jesus begins this fascinating dialogue with them about different sorts of appetites and different sorts of food. And he says this to them. He says, I've got food to eat that you know nothing about. He's telling them he receives nourishment in a way 
that they don't fully understand yet. And the disciples are still confused. They're thinking, well, could, has someone brought him a packed lunch? Has someone been to McDonald's and got him a takeaway? You know, what, what, is it, what is this food that he's talking about? What is this food that he's, he's accessing? They're amazed by this. And then Jesus goes on to say this. He says this. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Jesus' nourishment, his passion, his purpose was linked to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I want to just quickly unpack what's fascinating about the word food in these two verses. They're different words. It's just translated food in your Bibles, but they're actually different words. The first food, I'm sorry vegetarians, but means meat. Okay? So the first word there means meat. I have got food. I've got nourishment. I've got, I've got, I've got food. It just means food, meat, literally in the, in the Greek. The second word, my food, is to do the will of him who sent me. It's a different sort of word. And this is a word that relates to ceremonial food. So this is food that would have been permissible or non-permissible for a Jewish believer. This is the word that's used to describe this sort of food. Why is Jesus using this word? So I think he's linking the food and the understanding the disciples have as Jew- Jewish believers to there's a different sort of framework in place here that you know nothing about. He's saying, you've got this religious framework that you fit God into. You have this idea of where God can be and where he can't be and where he should be and where he shouldn't be and and what he should do and what he shouldn't do. But there's a new day being birthed here. The kingdom is coming. And the way God works is different to your ceremonial understanding of the way he works. You think God is linked to the temple and to the law. And this is the whole discourse he had with a Samaritan woman, wasn't it? She said, where do I worship God? Where, 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 where do I find him? And Jesus said, the time's coming when you won't find him on the mountain, or you won't find him in the temple. You'll find him where the spirit is, and you'll worship him with spirit and truth. And so Jesus is saying that there's a new normal. There's a new normal that is being birthed with the coming kingdom. And it's not constrained by ceremony. It's not constrained by religious frameworks. It's a new food. And the real trick is to discern where the food is, to discern where the spirit is working, because that's where the nourishment is. That's where the life is. That's where the kingdom is. He goes on to say this. A time is coming when true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So the true worshipper, the kingdom worshipper, will be connected to God by the spirit in all places at all times, not constrained in temples or ceremony. They'll be a spirit-filled and a spirit-led people because those are the kind of people that God is building a community out of. And he goes on to say this fascinating phrase, which you've often used to describe evangelism, Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe. And once again, Jesus is challenging their normal. He's saying, you've got this framework about how things work. You plant and you wait four months and then the crops come and then you harvest. There's a new normal. Open your eyes. Things are not following the old patterns, the old ways, the old timescales. The time is now. The spirit is here now. The spirit is active now. He's trying to give them a new normal. Your expectation might be four months, four years. 
God only works this way over this time frame. Jesus says, no, there's a new normal. There's a new normal. Open your eyes. Open. It literally means lift up your head. Lift up your head from your normal and see a new normal. If I'd have lifted my head on my driving test, I might have seen that diversion sign. I might have passed my test first go. But I was so ingrained with my normal, and what I thought the structure was going to be, I didn't even lift my head and see the sign. I missed what was actually happening all around me, even though it was blatantly obvious. There was cones and signs and stuff and diggers. And I was just so locked into my normal, I just completely missed it all. She says, lift up your eyes. Open your eyes. Lift your head and see the new normal. No longer will God have to be here or this way or that way or through this time frame. He's here now. And you guys are so busy with your stomachs, you missed it. You guys were so busy with your natural appetites, you missed it. Ah, yes, I'm hungry. Yes, I'm tired. Yes, I'm thirsty. But I discerned my father was going to do a work here by this well. So I sat down and I waited. And look at, the, look at the result. A woman released into freedom, new identity. A whole town affected by the gospel. And you can imagine the disciples still scratching their heads trying to get an idea of what Jesus is saying. Spirit-led people. This, is, this story is like a manual for us, guys. There's so much in here. I really want you to go away and look at it in your own time. Because there's so much in here. that You can see yourself as the woman. You can see yourself as a woman in this story. You can feel like you're on the outside. You're broken. You need healing. You need Jesus to affirm who you are in him, to give you the identity. You might see yourself as the disciples in this story, a bit slow on the uptake, a bit concerned with your stomach. And we can see ourselves as Jesus in this story, responding to the leading of the Spirit. There's a bit of all of these characters in us, at different times. It's a beautiful story that really underlines the new paradigm, the new worldview that the kingdom brings by the Spirit. Let's stand together. I want to give some time to respond to God this morning. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.